History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 301st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, I'm bringing you one of the locations that we went to and did a ghost hunt while we were at the Haunted America Conference in Alton, Illinois. This location is the McPike Mansion, and it has just made it to number two on my most haunted list. This place was incredible. And we didn't even get to go into the main interior of the house. We were just underneath it and outside of it. But we had some amazing experiences here. And when I say we, I'm talking about not only myself and Kelly, but also Tammy and Brian Burroughs, who are members of the Spooktacular crew. And I can't wait to share with you those experiences. Before we get into that, I want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Peggy, Lynn, Grace, Nancy, Megan, Luis, Pamela, Christopher, Angela, Brenda, Rachel with an A-E-L, Teresa with no H, Stephen with a V, Noah, Lily, Tori, and Cheryl Lynn. Welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. Robert Wadlow was considered Alton, Illinois' gentle giant. He was born in Alton on February 22, 1918. He was an average baby weighing in at 8 pounds, but things would drastically change. By the time he was 1 years old, he was already weighing 44 pounds. At 5 years old, he was weighing in at 105 pounds and measuring 5 feet 4 inches tall, my height. When he started school, the whole world realized that Wadlow was quite different. Freak show operators came calling, but his parents wanted him to have as normal a life as possible so they would say no. Doctors eventually diagnosed him with pituitary gigantism. They told his parents that they could operate, but that it was very dangerous, so they opted not to do it. Wadlow had dreams of becoming a lawyer, but he soon realized that any career was out of the question, as he was too big for books, cars, and much more. His only option was to make money off the publicity of being a very tall man, the tallest man to have ever lived he began promoting the shoe company that made his special-sized shoes. He eventually joined the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus. He stipulated that they would need to provide a suite for him and his father to live in and that he would not be a part of the sideshow. He would enter the center ring three times a day. He traveled to 41 of the contingent United States and over 800 cities. He grew to a record 8 feet 11 inches and had to walk with a cane. He wore braces on his ankles for added support and one of them rubbed him raw, and the sore became infected. He suffered in a hospital for 10 days with fever before emergency surgery was performed, but it would be too late. He passed away on July 15, 1940, at the age of 22. A special coffin was made, and there were 12 pallbearers at his funeral. 
His coffin was encased in concrete to keep anybody from stealing his body or bones. Robert Wadlow was a gentle giant, and he certainly was odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. And now, this month in history. In the month of July, on the 6th in 1885, Louis Pasteur gave the first anti-rabies inoculation to a boy who'd been infected by rabid dogs, and it was successful. Louis Pasteur was born to humble beginnings. His early interest was art, but obviously he eventually got into science and studied fermentation and focused on coming up with ways to prevent bacteria from growing on food. We get pasteurization from his name. He went on to study infectious disease. While studying silkworms, he came up with germ theory, which revolutionized hygiene in all settings, especially in the medical field. He used the rabies virus in rabbits to formulate his human vaccine against rabies. He took it from their spinal cords and reduced the veracity of the virus. He first used the vaccine on dogs, and when that proved successful, he tested it on his first human subject. This was a boy who had been severely attacked by feral dogs, and he was dying. Pasteur injected him with a daily series of vaccines, with each day having a more virulent dose. The boy didn't develop rabies, and Pasteur became a hero. once referred to Alton, Illinois as a, quote, dismal little river town. But I don't agree with those sentiments. This was the birthplace of the tallest man ever to live, Robert Wadlow, whom I shared about in the moment Nodity. And it was the center of the abolitionist movement. Many paranormal enthusiasts think of Alton as one of the most haunted small towns in America. It is here that one finds the McPike Mansion, a once grand home with marble fireplaces that had become a wreck of a place. The current owner has poured much time and love into restoring this home, and though it has a long way to go, some of its former glory is starting to shine through. And I imagine that makes the spirits of the McPike family very happy. And they would definitely have seen the progress, as many of them are still in the home in the afterlife. Or at least, that is what people claim. And after my visit to this home, I believe there are certainly spirits here, and I had one of the most profound, unexplained experiences of my life. Join me as I share the history and haunts of the McPike Mansion. (laughs) This is the second location that History Ghost Bump has covered in Alton, Illinois. The first was the Milton Schoolhouse in episode 90. I just love Alton because despite being a small little town most people haven't heard of, it has a really rich history. Mound builders first called this home, and the Cahokia Mounds lie just 30 minutes away, which I've also visited in the past. These same native people birthed the legend of the Piasaw bird that calls Alton home. 
We've covered that in a previous moment, Nodity, but a quick recap is that this is a cryptid that resembles a dragon with large wings that Father Jacques Marquette, whom discovered a mural depicting two of them in 1673 on a limestone bluff, described as, quote, large as a calf. They have horns on their heads like those of a deer, a horrible look, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's, a face somewhat like a man's, a body covered with scales, and so long a tail that it winds all around the body, passing above the head and going back between the legs, ending in a fish's tail. Green, red, and black are the three colors composing the picture. End quote. I recall a hair-raising story Told to me when I was just a boy Across the river from old St. Louis in a little town called Alton, Illinois. Look me out, look me out, all these good shouts. My, oh, my, by and by, he'll be screaming in the sky. It's the awfulest that you ever heard. Hide of trappers, here comes the highest offers. This is a place where the Missouri and Illinois rivers flow into the mighty Mississippi that carried explorers and supplies into many areas of America. Abraham Lincoln debated Stephen Douglas here for the seventh and final time as they ran for a Senate seat. And this would be a place the McPike family would call home. Henry Guest McPike was born July 6, 1825 in Indiana to John Mountain and Lydia McPike. Henry's early experiences were touched by the abolitionist sentiments crossing the nation, and his father was even the editor of an abolitionist paper. He was 22 when his father moved the family to Alton, Illinois. Henry got involved in real estate in the 1850s, and at one point, he and his real estate partner owned 700 parcels of land. In 1854, Henry married his first wife, Mary Amanda Mulvini Burns, and they had five children, James, Jenny, Alice, who died at 18 months from teething, John Haley, and Robert Samuel. Henry would help organize the Lincoln-Douglas debate in Alton. He was friends with Abraham Lincoln, and as a matter of fact, He was with Lincoln when Lincoln received a telegram informing him that he had won the election to the presidency. While everybody whooped and hollered, Lincoln simply said, well, I guess I'll go tell mother, referring to his wife, Mary Todd. Henry's wife, Mary, died from a heart ailment in 1867. In November of 1869, he married a second wife, Nanny Louise Lyons. They would have one child named Eugene in 1870. The marriage was short-lived as Nanny filed for divorce on grounds of fault and misconduct and she got custody of their son. The divorce wouldn't be finalized until 1878, though. Henry would get even more involved in politics when he became mayor of Alton in 1887 and 1891. He was also a horticulturist, and he ended up developing the McPike grape, which was patented and became famous for the wine that was made from it. In 1892, Henry would marry his third wife, Eleanor Ellie, and they had one daughter named Moreland. He died April 18, 1910, after coming down with a cold that he fought for only a few days. He was 85. The McPike Mansion was built on 15 acres of land in 1869 by architect Lucas Pfeifenberger. Pfeifenberger was a German immigrant who spent time in California as a deputy sheriff trying to tame the gold rush town of Hangtown before getting into architecture. Another lawman who worked with him was one of the Studebaker brothers. He visited a friend in Alton who talked him into staying, and he would eventually become the most prominent architect in the area. The land the mansion was built upon was known as Mount Lookout Park, so it's up on a hill. 
It was built in the Italianate Victorian style with 16 rooms, custom-made interior doors to go with the 12-foot ceilings, chandeliers, a vaulted wine cellar, and black marble mantelpieces. James McPike married Jenny Wilkinson. Jenny McPike married Robert Wilkinson, and they had two daughters, Gertrude and Bertie. So I thought it was kind of interesting. You have James and Jenny McPike, who are brother and sister, and it looks to me like they married a brother and sister, or at least a couple of people who were related to each other in some way. John Haley inherited the house when Henry died, and he lived in the house for 20 years, but ended up losing it in a poker game, or at least that's the way the rumors go. The McPike family lived in the mansion until 1936. Then Paul and Shuggy Latchinger bought the house and either lived in or ran it as a boarding house until Paul's death in 1945. Now, there is some discrepancy here with the record, so it's a little hard to know anything solid about the dates of when the McPike family was out of the mansion and when Paul and Shuggy moved in. Some records say that they bought it in 1925, so I'm not really positive about those dates. Shuggy would stay or at least hold on to the house until 1954, and then she sold it to Paul Davis, who was a developer, and he planned to demolish it so he could build a shopping center. The city would not allow the new zoning, and so the property sat for years abandoned and in disrepair. And vandals obviously came in here, spray-painted the walls, they took the marble fireplaces, and destroyed much of the interior. Pretty much, if something wasn't nailed down, it was stolen. And even if it was nailed down, say like a toilet, those were stolen too. In 1990, a man named Gary Hendricks bought the mansion with big plans to renovate, but he soon gave up in 1994. He had put forward that he was going to pour $2 million or $2.5 million into this house. Everybody got really excited. He was going to build this new solarium onto it. He was going to rebuild the carriage house. And well, I guess he decided it was too much work. So along comes Sharon and George Ludke, and it's so fun to listen to her tell the story about buying the house. They are the current owners, and she had driven past this property for years, and she just loved it. And I know that feeling. I've driven past a couple of properties where I'm like, God, I'd sure love to buy something like that someday, but never had the opportunity. Sharon had the opportunity. Her husband, George, called it the Scooby-Doo house. It went up for auction on August 8th, 1994. She'd heard that they were putting bids in on it, so she stops by on a whim and puts out a bid, and she ends up winning it for $42,000. At the time, Sharon had no idea that the mansion was haunted. They planned to restore it and open a bed and breakfast and banquet room. So far, they've replaced the roof and done a $25,000 renovation to the front porch, which looks amazing. I haven't gotten any pictures of it in the daylight, but I did post a picture of it from the night that we were there. It's up on Instagram. It looks so nice. It's just amazing what they've done to it. Pictures that I'd seen previously of it were that all of the windows were pretty much knocked out. I think it had one window still left in it. They've replaced all of the windows. Lighting has been added and the physical support of the mansion, which obviously is the most important part, is complete. Not long after they started repairs, they realized that something else was going on with the house. Now it is known as one of the most haunted houses in Alton and has found itself on the list of the top 10 haunted houses in the United States. Many paranormal shows have featured the location from Ghost Adventures to Ghost Lab and Scariest Places in America. That last one, I'm not sure why, because I didn't find it scary at all. It was wonderful. 
Stories abound about this mansion. When it was apartments, there were two girls who claimed to hear disembodied sounds of a child running and playing upstairs, even though they were the only children on the property. A picture taken from the outside reveals a little black boy standing at a window that is believed to be the son of a servant. Paul Latchinger was a heavy smoker, and there are those who claim to catch a whiff of cigarette smoke in the home. Sharon had a run-in with Latchinger's ghost about six weeks after buying the property. She was outside watering some plants when she saw him in a window looking out at her. She didn't know who he was at the time, but she noted he was wearing a striped shirt and tie, and of course she was by herself, so there was no reason why there'd be somebody in the house. She later saw a picture of Paul wearing the exact same clothes. A former servant named Sarah is believed to be here, and when she appears, there's a scent of lilacs. She has hugged Sharon in the past. Renee Cruz, who has written several books with Troy Taylor, was touring the house and doing a video when a white mist enveloped the group, and she described it as feeling electrically charged. This video has been sent around to all kinds of experts. It's been played on a few paranormal shows. No one has been able to debunk it. And after my experience, I believe that white mist really was something supernatural. So we get here, we park near the house, we're walking up to it. We're very excited to go inside. Number one, I just love getting into old homes. But number two, we haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of ghost hunts. And based on what we'd heard from other people, there's some stuff going on here. So we were excited to get a chance to get inside. We meet Sandy Little Lizard. She's going to be our medium guide on this tour. She's Cherokee and Choctaw, and she'd set up this pot of burning sage for everyone to pass around to both cleanse ourselves and to use as protection. So Kelly and I both put a little circle of it around us. When it comes to mediums, you know that I question a lot of it. I don't trust a whole lot of them. I don't believe in a whole lot of them. But Sandy, to me, was very sincere, and she seemed to have a really good rapport with the spirits of the mansion. So I have a feeling that she is the real deal. Another reason why I think that is because the way she's going to describe the experiences people have had is exactly what I had. What I'll do here is play a little chat that we had at breakfast with Tammy and Brian Burroughs, who had done the McPike Mansion the previous night. Okay. So what happened? All right. So what happened? Well... There's a total of about 10 entities that are in the in the house, 10, 10 spirits that are in the house. Plus visitors. Plus visitors. There were two people that had visitors with them. And the lady said, is there uh, somebody that is connected to a, a Mary? And my heart went, because my mother's name was Mary, Mary Jo. And this woman just, oh my God. There was somebody that was bugging the Hades out of the spirit hmm. medium. Um, and then a, a Josh or a Jonathan or a, jo- a Joseph, and this guy just about fell apart, his brother. It was a... And then she mentioned a motorcycle. Motorcycle, and he, it tore him up. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so there were two, there were two family members that decided to come through and talk to the, the medium. She is fabulous. She is Cherokee Crow Choctaw. And she is the real deal. I mean, she's not somebody that's just standing up there going, Mama. you know, she's, she's really good. And, but then they do, they do take you around the, the grounds 
and show you all of the reconstruction efforts that have been going on. They've got 54 of the 55 windows restored in the house. Wow. They, they've got a new roof. They do a presentation, a slideshow, show you all the people who used to live in the house, show you pictures of that. They do a little spiel about, I guess it's about 20 minutes, then they take you walking, and then you do go down into the wine cellar. While we were there, one of the young ladies who works there, I, I don't know if it was Miss Lydia, I think it was Lydia that decided to come into the room and she was sitting on the steps. Don't do that, don't, don't sit on the steps while, you know, they're calling for the spirits to come through because she walked through. I've, I've had that happen to me. Yeah, but anyway, uh, she walked through her. They make their ways, they make their presence known in different ways. Is it Sarah or Sally or, I think it's Sarah, or was the most attached to me. She kept coming back to me and she couldn't leave my hair alone. She was messing with my, my curls, twiddling my curls. One of the children, there are three children, one of the children came to me and, and they said, are there teachers? Is there a teacher here? And I said, I'm a teacher. And she said, oh, they like teachers. One of the dogs leaned up against me for a brief minute. Henry will make his presence known. You don't challenge them. They will retaliate. Somebody stupid decided they would show yourself and that sort of thing and it didn't work well because they ended up on the floor uh, but Henry will he is a shadow person but he he's not a dark person he's not there to harm people but he like will get right up against your face and look at you you know uh, and you can sense the darkness Wow. It's it's pitch black in there, but then all of a sudden you see, you know, once your eyes adjust, you can see changes. There's one that comes up as a an orange burst. You'll see this orange flip through. That's one of them. Two of them are white lights, and I did see the little white lights dancing around. It was cool. Brian had his eyes closed the whole time, and he was seeing mental pictures. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Whenever they said Henry, immediately I got flowers. Because this guy was a horticulturalist. Okay. And he had huge gardens. He had, what, 15 acres with the Something house? Something like that. And all developed. And like an arboretum wow. and yeah, it looks great. Mm. Yeah. And that's all I got was bright pink, blue flowers and all sorts of things like that. Um, Henry likes cherry tobacco, so sometimes you get a whiff of cherry tobacco. One of them was heavy into gardenia. And immediately when, when they said gardenia, perfume, I thought of the former truant officer that haunted, I, t I showed you the picture of Nichols. Jungle gardenia followed May everywhere. And after May died, we would still smell jungle gardenia in the school building. I'd say, hey May, one of them wouldn't leave my hair alone. She just kept messing with my hair. And about two thirds of the way in, I asked, one, I, I asked the lady, I said, so, did 
one of did somebody suffer from a stroke and Henry's father did and they said funny you picked up on that they didn't tell anybody that he had had a stroke I just I got this sensation of like from my jaw down to my shoulder and I couldn't swallow well I said did somebody suffer from a stroke so that must have been one yeah I was kind of, man, they're going to make us turn off all of our devices, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, it's pitch black in there. Then they did allow us to, to take pictures and stuff. Man, the, the flashes were blinding us. But um, I turned my EMF meter on, and that thing went bonkers. I mean, it was going crazy. I think I got something in the window, taking pictures outside. I think I got something in the window. It was worth it, and we felt good in the fact that they thank us for helping preserve the, the, the house. You know, it's part of the part of the money goes toward the restoration of the house. Yeah, true. <coughs> well, some of them have, you know, some of them they they freed, but I mean, you know, they're not there to. They're not there to, uh, to, to, they have healed them to some res resolution, but they're with the house. And they'll always probably be with the house. So after I'm listening to Tammy, I adore Tammy and Brian. This is the fourth Haunted America conference I've done with them. They're really good people. Obviously, I trust them. But I'm also an open-minded skeptic. And all this talk about lights and mists and things like that, well, frankly, I thought it was a lot of BS. When we get inside and we go down to the wine cellar and we're sitting in the pitch black and I'm listening to Sandy tell us that this is the kind of things that we're going to see, I'm still thinking this is complete BS. I am going to change my mind. Sharon shares an interesting story with us before we walk around the outside of the house, which we did before going down into the wine cellar. It's a story about a ring, and I'm going to go ahead and play that for you here. Betty, and, and I will, there's a picture of Betty and Melissa, her daughter, and her big grandson said Billy was a, um, anyway, he was a disabled adult, okay? And so he was afraid to go upstairs, so he didn't go upstairs. So Betty and, and Billy, Betty was his mom, and Billy stayed on the first floor. Well, anyway, so I took Melissa and those guys down to um, the, the uh, cellar because at that time we could just go down the stairs and so while we were down in the cellar we heard footsteps and they were pretty loud like three footsteps so we you know came upstairs and we wanted to make sure that wasn't Billy and Betty well anyway and it wasn't but in the meantime um, <clears throat> Betty says well I lost my diamond sapphire ring and so um, so they had only been on the first floor, so we looked all around and that type of thing, and we couldn't find it. And so, in uh, my husband, I said, well, don't worry, George is the finder of the family, he'll find it. Well, he looked around, he couldn't find it either, and about a week later, um, my friend Flo, who was a psychic who has passed on, came and she would come and we'd go through the house and she'd tell me stuff. But at any rate, um, we were going to go down the cellar by the back stairs, and um, she says, oh, Sharon, there's a lady on the stairs, the stairs that go to the second floor. 
I can't see her, right? You know, I went, okay, quote. So I look over at the stairs though, and here's the ring on the second step, glistening in the sunlight. And I've looked many times, I've never seen the sunlight that, you know, like that ever, ever again. By the way, so I, we found the ring, and Flo said, well, the lady said, don't lose it again because next time she won't return it. <laughs> So I said, okay, so, you know, Betty got her ring back, and it was, you know, had sentimental value because friend had given it to her. So for this portion of the podcast, I am joined by Kelly. We had a fabulous time hanging out in Alton, and... I would have to say the McPike Mansion was entirely different than what I expected. What were you expecting before we got out there? Certainly not what we experienced. You know, beforehand, Tammy did tell us about some of their experiences. So I was hopeful that we would have some of our own, but I still really didn't know what to expect, to be honest. So Kelly, last night we sat down and watched Ghost Adventures, the episode where they go to McPike Mansion, and we found it quite entertaining. Oh my word. No negative speak against that show and that particular person, but it just, to be honest, it really irked me because I had such a complete different response in terms of the experiences. And so when he goes in there and starts being aggressive and aggravating the spirits and and acting in that taunting way, it really kind of ticked me off, to be honest with you. If I based my opinions on what happened with the McPike Mansion on Ghost Adventures, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's a demonic house. I'd be terrified to go in there. There's something not right about that house. And the experiences that we had were so completely different than that. They were wonderful amazing. And I feel like, you know, Kelly, we always say the holy grail is seeing a full-bodied apparition. I think you and I got the closest you can get to a full-bodied apparition. Definitely. For what I saw, I think I saw something that is about as close as it could possibly be to a full-bodied apparition. And if I never saw anything more than that, I would still be completely convinced and satisfied. Sharon, who is the current owner of the house, and she actually was at the conference with us. She sat a couple rows up from us for most of the time. She said that the stuff that we saw in Ghost Adventures, most of it was BS. And when we watched it, you could kind of see where they edited things in a certain way to make it sound like they were saying certain things about the house that probably were not true. Sandy, the medium, they made it sound like she's the shaman and the spirits don't like her and they don't want her around. And she got scratched and was bleeding all over the place this one time. And Sharon and Sandy are at odds with each other and you can really feel it. And Kelly and I, when we got to thinking about it, we were, we were like, bunch of garbage. Well, they're really <laughs> good friends. So I was like, why would they be at odds with each other? What Kelly thought was that perhaps Sharon wanted to be on Ghost Adventures because the only way that they're able to restore this house is by having people come do tours and investigations to pay for it. They expected right. to get grant money when they bought it. And once she bought it, they were like, oh, sorry, there's no grant money. So she's like... Oh my gosh, this yeah, thing needs what? millions of dollars in restoration done to it. And I'm just a little person out here. I can't afford that. So I can understand that she'd want to be on a show like Ghost Adventures to get out there and get more people wanting to come see it. Sandy, being a medium and protective of spirits, perhaps didn't want to have Ghost Adventures there because she feels protective of those spirits. I definitely do not think that the spirits have any issue with Sandy. As you listen to the dark session, you're not going to get that impression at all. 
They're all friends with each other. We got nothing negative, even though during this, Zach is going on and on about how there's all this negative energy and coming at him and doing this stuff and that there was this crypt in the back that had gotten broken open and maybe that's why there's ghosts haunting here because the body was removed and blah, 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 blah. I don't know exactly who's at this house. If it's who we were told are at this house, it's the family. They love the home and they've decided to stay there in the afterlife. The first paranormal experience that we had there happened pretty close to the beginning. When you first get there, you sit on these benches and they tell you a little bit about the history, show you slides of the family, and then you get up and you're going to walk around the house. Well, as we're getting up to walk around the house before we go down to the cellar for our dark session, Kelly was taking some pictures and she had a really cool experience. Yes. So... I was walking around this little pathway and I just happened to look up and I was bringing my phone up to take some successive pictures. And before I even started looking at my phone screen, I saw a blue light and I just hesitated for a moment and then I started snapping away and I literally caught it in one picture and then not in the next two. We walked right past that area later on. There was nothing there that could have possibly created any light. It's a really cool picture. We're going to put it up on Instagram so that you can see it. But the thing that was striking to me about this is it wasn't like you took the picture and you caught an orb in it that you see after the fact. You saw the blue light and then you took a picture of it. Yes, I saw the blue light first. It was kind of almost an oval shape. And I did. I had no idea at the time that that was the area that led down to the cellar. I do know that they had caught some pictures of a woman. I believe she was holding a child out in the garden area, which is kind of where I was initially planning on taking my photos. I I took some of that area as well, but then it just, the side of the house kind of drew me over there and that's where I caught that. And Len, who was one of our hosts for this, Kelly went over and showed him the picture because he was kind of standing over by us. And he said that he'd had a disturbing experience in that area sometime before. I don't know if it you know, was years ago or what have you, but he really doesn't like to go over there. And there is nothing over there that would cause any kind of a light reflection or anything like that. We don't feel that this was the female spirit that they say haunts this area or kind of in this area. And we saw a picture of her and it, it looked like a pretty convincing ghost picture to me. Uh, as long as I trust that they haven't doctored it in any way. But one of the reasons why we think it definitely was not this woman is because Kelly was using dousing rods while we were doing the dark session. And after we got done and they turned on the lights, she decided to ask the different spirits that were there to see if she could figure out who it was. And in your brain, you were thinking that it was one of the children because we had been told that when you see a blue light, it usually signifies a child. So she was asking through all of the different children's names and everything, the person that was the farthest in her mind for being this blue light would be Mr. Henry. Yeah, I did not expect that at all. I mean, that that just completely came out of left field for me because I was going through all the names and getting immediate answers. And I, I just still kept having it in my head that it was a young child just after hearing that with the blue light, that that's typically what is connected to the blue lights. And so When I felt like I had gone through all the names that I could recall, I just thought, well, what the heck? And I asked, was it you, Mr. Henry? And immediately I got that response of a yes. And what makes it so interesting is the pictures that they think they've captured of Henry show him as a shadow figure. And the way that you saw him, as we're going to discuss in a little bit, 
is that he was a shadow figure. So you wouldn't think he would show up as this blue light. Exactly. What we're going to do now is take you with us into the dark session. We had the most amazing experiences during this. Hopefully you're somewhere in a place where you can close your eyes, sit down next to me across from Sandy or next to Kelly, who is sitting at Sandy's left. As we're doing this dark session, we are going to break in every so often and share a little bit more about each of the experiences that we're having. Here we go. So we will ask you guys to turn your phones and everything off. I also will ask you to remain seated and keep your hands inside the ride at all times. <laughs> I am serious about the um, staying seated because it will be dark and that's for safety reasons. Plus the only shadow we want to see walking around is Henry and possibly James because he paces in the back just so you all know. And as the spirits drop in, I'll be letting you know where they are and who they are and what to look for. If you touch your neighbor, please let them know it was you so they don't freak out. And if it wasn't you, yay, you just got touched by a spirit because that happens down here. Doesn't it, Lynn? Often. <laughs> so we hope you all either get ice cold or a chill or a breeze or something. Did you? Uh, You're not crying. No, I meant it's cooler down here. Oh, it's cooler down here? <laughs> I'll notice if it gets hotter. And you know what? Sometimes it's not. And so it really, if it's colder down here, that means we already have spirits who have joined us. So I'm going to ask the spirits. I know everybody's tired, spirits. We're all tired. And it's been a long day. And I know you're probably tired, too. We had a really good session last night. So if there's any way that you could you know, gain some energy and help us have another good session tonight. We would really, truly appreciate it. Up here to my left, some of you may have seen a bit of a white light kind of shine and go off and shine and go off. And that is Mary. That's how she presents herself. And that is Henry's, the love of his life, his first wife. And so if you all would acknowledge Mary. She usually stays to my left and up and down this wall. So any of you on this wall, if you feel cold or chilled, if you're an empath and you feel something heavy on your heart or some sadness, that's Mary. Nobody jump up and run out. If you get freaked out, give us a chance to, to pull the spirit away from you and, and uh, calm things down. It just can happen sometimes. So Mary is here. Sarah is also here. She came in first again tonight which is interesting but anyway if you would acknowledge sarah she came in to my right corner. and so those of you in this corner up against this wall and up and down that right wall over there you may feel some activity from her there also was some and still is some purple activity up at the ceiling i don't know if you guys can see that it kind of comes out as like energy circles or something like that but it has a, a purple hue to it and so if anybody catches a glimpse of that that is gertrude so gertrude is also with us down here so at this point you hear sandy mentioning gertrude who shows up as purple and i definitely saw this purple mist burst i don't even know how to describe it kelly it was like a starburst or a shooting star where it would just kind of swirl and get bright and then dissipate. This is one of those cases where I wish I could take a picture with my mind to show everybody because you really 
can't describe it. It looked like this bright circle of purple pinkish color that would dissipate into this purplish mist. Something similar to if you're looking at some space pictures and you see nebula out there, I think is what they call them with all of this mist or like the Aurora Borealis, the way the colors are like that. That's kind of what I was seeing. That's a pretty accurate description. It was just amazing to me because before this, as I said, I thought that it was BS when Tammy was talking about these bursts of colors, when they were describing them to us outside. I'm like, okay, I've been in a dark room. I've had my eyes do these weird things. And of course, I could say that perhaps it was because my eyes were adjusting to this utter darkness that we were in, that I was getting this kind of purple stuff going on. But what really negated that theory to me was a couple of things. Number one, I didn't see any other colors but purple. It wasn't like my eyes were shifting through blue and white and red and all these different colors. They'll be describing all these different colors that the ghosts appear as. All I saw was purple, and I saw purple for almost the entire time. She went away for a little bit and then came back. When I kind of reached out a little bit in front of me, I could feel that it was a little bit cold in front of me, too. Of course, down in the wine cellar, it was very chilly, especially for little old Florida me but it felt like it was a little bit colder in front of me. And so right along with that also, I was keeping things pretty close to the cuff. When I was seeing things, I wasn't sharing. And so I had already seen the purple up above you and kind of out in front of you. And so then when you started speaking about it, I said, well, yeah, I saw that a little while ago. And the gal that was sitting next to me actually said, yeah, I see it in front of you right now. So that to me told me definitely... I'm seeing this. Gertrude wants you guys to know that she was on the stairs watching you all on the front in the front. <laughs> she rather enjoys standing on the stairs watching people approach the door. And Henry is here as well, so you're going to be looking for his shadow. He feels like he's further down on the left left hand side. If anyone it feels really, like it's yeah, really dark around you, that's him. Yeah, right, it's really, really dark. This James here. Mm-hmm. And Jenny, you can ask if Jenny's here. Jenny is, um, James is Henry's son. Jenny is his wife. Jenny Wilkinson McPike. And when they enter the cellar, they come in in the back, the very back of the cellar. We're the front up here, it's the back back there. And so that's where Jenny will hang out. And she is our trickster. She really likes to poke you and do, pull your hair and sit down next to you and see if you can tell if she's there. And James will pace in the back. That's kind of what he does. So you're looking for energy shifts or changes in temperature or literally someone touching you. So is Henry going to let the children come down tonight even though it's very late again? He's laughing. Sure. He said sure? Yeah. Okay, thanks, Henry. It's late for the kitties. Even in the in-between, they keep some rules on, on our babies here. So We have some young children. There is one that's called Abigail, Abigail thank you. And uh, she's really a cute little five, six-year-old. If any of you are clairvoyant and you see that, she's got blonde hair. She's really cute. That, that was one bottle. Say hello to Henry. Hello, Mr. Henry. So here is where you saw Henry, Kelly. Can you describe that to everybody? 
Oh my goodness. Well, that was just so bizarre. I mean, when you're in this black room, you feel like you can't see anything. And yet, all of a sudden, everything just got blacker than black. And it wasn't just all over. It was definitely a movement that was from my left to my right. I saw him walk past me. And then literally, it was like he bent down a little bit and turned around and faced me. And his I could see his face, not like as in, you know, the a, features, a feature. Yeah, like 3D, you know, features. It was more flat, but I saw a face. And initially, it took me back. And I said, it just got really black coming past me. And she said, well, say hello to Henry. And so I said, hi, Mr. Henry, because I was a little bit, you know, not really scared. I didn't feel like anything negative associated with it. I was more in shock than anything. I was just kind of surprised by what I was seeing, like kind of questioning my own eyes. It was just so ingrained in my mind. Like I can see the whole process even right now as clearly as then what it looked like when he came around and faced me. And what was cool about this is the girl next to you saw him as well. And obviously, Sandy knew that he was there because she told you that he had come along that side. Right. The interesting part is I didn't see it at all. And I would have been facing that direction, looking in that way. Exactly. All I'm seeing is purple. So I believe that Gertrude was standing in front of me in such a way that I couldn't see Henry at all. And the other thing that I really liked about what you said there is I'm always describing shadow people to the listeners And I say it's like this darker than dark or blacker than black. When I say it, I'm like, I can't even fathom what that must be like. But that's what everybody describes it as. So that's what I'm going to say. And that's exactly what I saw. And now I know that that is something that is actually true that you can be. I mean, it was pitch black down here. There was no lights from any cell phones, nothing. You couldn't see your hands in front of your face. And yet she sees this figure that just it makes you think that there was something kind of emanating from him to help you to kind of make the outline of him or something. I don't know. It's just so weird. Yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows how or why? I just know what I saw. We've got someone back here, too, that's really cold. That's probably Jenny back there. Wow. And someone's touching her neck. That would be Jenny. She likes touchy-feely. Anybody's lap getting cold? How many do we have? Three laps that are cold? At least two, because we have a little girl is sitting on someone's and the little boy is also. The little boy feels like he's got his hands on your lap. He's not sitting on your lap, but the little girl's on somebody's lap over here to my left down there. Knees and four legs. So the little girl is Abigail, the little boy is Adam, and he's not much of a lap sitter, but he will put his hands on your tops of your legs, so you, it may feel like somebody's touching you that way, yeah. or it's ice cold. And then we have Zach, and Zachary is an African-American little boy. We, we believe that he was probably a little boy of one of the servants. My ankles are cold. Now that would be an animal. We also, we have cats and we have dogs down here. And so if it's your ankles, I'm gonna say that that is, that's a cat. And Sharon, I think it's, I think it's your black cat. Shadow. Yes. Shadow was kind of the, uh, we used to have Shadow and Blackie Mac 
And Adam uh, was kind of the official McPike cat. He used to come in the house by himself. And I think there's a lady spirit that likes cats. That's a good question for Henry. Henry, is there a lady in the house that likes cats? You can ask your Russ. Yes. Ask if it's Shug. Is it Shuggy? Yes. Ah, okay. So it's not of the McPike family? No. Okay. I do know Lashifers had dogs also. Well, apparently they had cats too. Or they had a cat. I'm oh, they had a cat? A cat. Yeah. Okay. So they're they're correcting me. So. Oh. Okay. So they had a cat, and actually the cat that I see is white, huh. with orange on it. Not a lot of orange, but just enough orange. He looks pretty furry to me. He looks pretty healthy too. Are Paul and Shuggy aware of the McPikes, and vice versa? Do they interact? Yes, they are aware of each other, and they do not interact much. Did anybody suffer from heart problems? Uh, Mary passed away due to her heart. And then John Mountain McPike had a stroke, so that oftentimes is heart-related. And we had John Mountain's uh, energies down here last night as well, because somebody else tapped into that, his stroke. I feel like my heart's racing, a little heaviness in the chest. Yeah, I think because you're so far back that that's probably John Mountain. Mary usually doesn't go that far down the wall. So, but you can ask them to move on. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of green. Well, that's cool. Who is it we decided was green? I was just thinking that myself. Um, was it James or was it Ben? I'm thinking it's Ben. It's Ben because he's the one who takes care of the kids. And last night, Ben was the one who escorted them down here. So I have a really strong purple in front of me. That's Gertrude. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of purple. I see purple in front of me. Ben, who's right in front of me? I had a major. I think it might be. I think it's Sarah. Sarah. I'm not seeing a specific color. Is that you again, sir? Yes. So we've got Ben. We should say hello to Ben. We have the three babies, and the kids love bling, especially the little girl. So if you've got necklaces, earrings on, the little girl might fiddle with those. She also likes to twirl your hair, so that's an interesting experience if she does. Just so you know, it's not common that Shug joins us down here when we have the McPike family here. So we really want to thank her for, for coming and sharing her energies with us. I think that's what you're getting the spice from. Thank you. Thank you. She's saying hello, and she, but she's also saying she had to get permission from Lydia. So thank you, Lydia. So is Lydia down here? She is. I feel her back near the doors. But I, it doesn't feel like she's come all the way in yet. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just she's kind of overseeing things, but I think Shug had to ask Lydia. I don't feel Paul, but I do feel Shug. I feel like Lydia is just kind of standing on the step behind me. Like right. Keep your foot, like, just 
somebody shifting their weight behind me. That's where I feel her. Okay, good. I like when we validate each other like that. Do the kids ever like the rods if they're just Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. They will take your rods, they'll tap those rods, yeah, they'll tug on them. Okay. That's a funny feeling, isn't it? Yes, it is. They were still for some time. Oh, look at that. Well, the fun continued for Kelly. I mean, she was getting all kinds of experiences. The the purple Gertrude in front of me that was the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced other than the dog whining at Waverly. So it puts McPike Mansion at number two for me was just this Gertrude showing up in front of me. So that's all I had going on. But next, we're going to have Abigail show up again, the little girl. And there's going to be an interaction with you, Kelly. Yes. I didn't know what to make of it. Initially, I was sitting in my chair. I had my hands and my wrists kind of hanging down. I had a dowsing rod in each one. And like I said before, with the purple, when things were happening, I was just kind of holding it back to myself just to kind of almost question it and and try to deduce what was going on. So I had these metal rods hanging down, one in each hand, and I kept feeling very distinctive taps. It was like a Tap, tap, tap on one, and then a pause, and then tap, tap, tap on the other. Almost like it was telling you, I want to talk to you, put those back up again. I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking it was a little kid just messing around. And that's when I asked Sandy if they would do things like that, because I I just kept, you know, you try to explain things away in your head because you're an open-minded skeptic. And so I was thinking, well, maybe my heartbeat's beating really hard. (laughs) through the handle and it's making them move. But then it got even more distinctive. So I knew it wasn't that. (laughs) Did you say that children usually show up as blue? That the children show us what? Show up as blue? No, I said sometimes. Okay. uh, Children will show up as a blue orb in photos. Not always, but sometimes, yes. If you get a green orb, that's going to be James or Ben. If you get a purple orb, that's going to be Gertrude. If you get a red or an orange orb, that's going to be Sarah. Mary usually shows up as white. And you, we have people who have captured Henry's shadow down here. Jenny, Jenny, Jenny wears blue. And how old is Jenny? Jenny, I see Jenny and James at their ages when James passed away. He passed away when he was 26, I think. 25. 25. And so that's how I see them. They present themselves at whatever age that they want you to see them as. Now, I don't see Henry as an old man. I'm sure he didn't. he's not going to walk around here like an old man. So I see him in his prime years, very tall, very stately, and stoic. Um, your feet have been touched? Yes. <laughs> Did that feel funny? Yes. <laughs> it's getting colder up front here. Are you cold? I'm really cold. I am right in front of me. So I know we've got some spirits up here, probably mirroring you. Yeah, I'm feeling it much colder in front of me right now. I Oh, your chair, I, your chair is shaking. It, it, yeah, it just seems like somebody just bumped into me. Somebody else over here, your chair is shaking? Yeah. Well, y'all are real quiet. You're not telling us what's moving. happening. <laughs> um, I don't know. What did you say, Kelly? I, my hair was just moving. About this. I don't know Somebody's when Eleanor and Henry got married. Okay. 
So, Henry, you can answer that question. I uh, think you get married in June to Nellie. I don't know that. I don't think so. I know they have their 20th anniversary party on the lawn. I do know that. Is Mr. McPike right in front of us? It's he probably is because he just walked in front of me and scared me to death. It is very, very dark. Yes, it the is. The dark got darker. That's Henry. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hello, Mr. McPike. Thank you for walking us down here. Sandy. I want them to experience it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Your shoe back here got unlaced. Are you serious? Yes. Uh, how cool is that? <laughs> Those darn kids. Now it's either the kids or Jenny did that too. Do you just feel cold or do you feel pressure? Sometimes both. Because I feel pressure and. so I was sitting there and she had said, you know, that the kids might come along and sit in your lap. Well, I had already felt like my lap got really cold. But then I actually felt pressure and I, I physically like reached out, touched my lap. I moved my purse over to make sure that it wasn't like leaning on me too hard, that I, I was just kind of imagining, imagining the it. Yeah, because I wasn't even concentrating on that or trying to clue into something in regards to that. I was just sitting there relaxed with my arms hanging off the side, just trying to see what would happen. And then I felt the pressure. And so after experiencing that for a little bit, I asked the medium again. <laughs> and I said, do they, can you sometimes feel the pressure of them sitting on you? Because she hadn't mentioned that before. So I, I didn't know what to expect. And she you mean said, you haven't ever had a ghost sit on you before? I have not. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> so she confirmed, she said, occasionally you can feel the pressure. Yes. And the interesting thing is, I am always wearing these dangly earrings. And I was, like I said, I was sitting there relaxed, being real still, just taking everything in. And I kept feeling my earring get tapped against my neck like three times. It would do this tap, 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 kind of like how it was with the dowsing rods. And I didn't even think about those associations until just now. But it was similar to that. And then I'd stop when I'd feel it, I'd stop and be really still and, and make sure that, you know, I wasn't wasn't swinging your turning, head. Yeah, turning my head. So they were like running into me or anything like that. And I it would continue. <laughs> and that gave me chills, not in a bad way. But I was like, oh, <laughs> the interesting thing is that's why you thought it was a little girl because she seemed fascinated by your earrings, fascinated with your hair. And Sandy did say that the little boy that's usually down there will put his hands on people's laps, but the little girl will actually sit on them. So it's possible that maybe he was leaning on you and reaching up and, and hitting your earring, but I have a feeling you did have Abigail sitting there. It could be. I did get a feeling like it was a small female, but yet there was another spirit named Jenny and she was older. I guess Jenny likes to kind of be mischievous. And so part of me was wondering, well, maybe it could be Jenny. I'm not sure. It felt feminine to me. It's like something's grabbed my arm, which is kind of a trip, actually. So it's like it's like a tingling up my arm. Oh, wow. It's painting in the red. Which I've used this quite a bit. I don't think I've ever seen it, actually, this. 
We think we caught three EVP. I'm going to play the first one here. We think it says, I'm going home. I'll play it again. And again. This is EVP number two, and we believe it is saying yes. Did anybody suffer from heart problems? I'll play it again. Did anybody suffer from heart problems? And again. Did anybody suffer from heart problems? We think we caught EVP number three here. Is that you again, sir? Yes. Len asks, is that you, Sarah? And then you hear. Yes. We think she's saying yes. I'll play it again. Is that you again, sir? Yes. And one more time. Is that you again, sir? Yes. Kelly, after we got done doing the dark session, they turned on the lights, and we'd had this really weird paranormal experience that happened to us throughout the entire road trip that we were doing. It started at the Mineral Springs Hotel, it continued at the McPike Mansion, and then it went into the Chattanooga ghost tour that we did the following night. And just to let everybody know, about two weeks before we left for the Haunted America Conference, Kelly had a horse named Mahogany that passed away, and she'd had him for about 30 years. He was 32 when he passed. And we got some indications when we were at the Mineral Springs Hotel that there was a horse attached to her in some way. So we decided, since we had the dousing rods at the McPike Mansion, that we would go ahead and ask about that. What had happened is I had downloaded the Ghost Radar app, and we'd found that we were getting some significant answers that connected to some things. So I'm sitting there with this on my lap. So once the lights were up and I started working again with the dousing rods, Diane suggested that I ask if there was a horse attached to me. So in my mind, I'm thinking... Okay, so if it comes back, yes, obviously it's going to be mahogany because, you know, I was very close with them. I had them for many, many years. I asked if there was a horse with me or if they saw a horse with me. The answer was yes. And then right after that, I asked if it was mahogany and it immediately went to no, which was a bit confusing because I just made that assumption that that's who it had to be. So here we're going to play for you a little sound that we had recorded on the recorder. That is the ghost radar saying struggle. I'll play it again. And so Kelly confirms that this horse that she had owned before was, he'd been a real struggle for her and behavior wise, and he'd been spoiled by a previous owner and such. Then the ghost radar said, Cole, I'll play that here. And then I'll play it again. And when I asked you what lover boy, what color he had been, you said he was black and it was really kind of bizarre because it was the furthest thing from my mind. These words were coming up on the ghost radar app 
and it just all fell into place. So then I asked if it was Loverboy, and immediately it went to yes. Obviously, a lot more to this story. And we shared the entire story. What started at the Mineral Springs Hotel, continued at the mansion, and then went into the Chattanooga Ghost Tour on our most recent bonus cast that we did for the executive producers. So if you want to hear that, all you got to do is sign up at the $5 and above level and you will get that episode plus 150 plus other bonus episodes out there. But it was a very cool experience for us. And I've never had anything like that happen before. Kelly, I want to thank you for joining me on this episode. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And hey, guys, keep it spooky. So what do you guys think? After sitting down there doing the dark session with us, I bet there's quite a few of you who would like to try it out for yourself, right? So let me know if you do. And we'll see if we can put together a meetup for us all to be able to have that experience together. Since starting this podcast, I've had some pretty profound experiences. Now that I'm even moving more into wanting to have those interactions, it just amazes me with the types of interactions and how many I'm having. My skepticism is really starting to fade. And this to me was an incredibly profound experience. I cannot explain what was before my eyes. And as I sat there for probably... I've got to guess at least 15 minutes that I had this purple in front of me and was just continuing to look at it and watching it move around in front of me. I just kept thinking in my brain, what is going on? I cannot explain this. This is amazing. And then I kept thinking, God, I wish I could take a picture, but there's no way it would ever show up in a picture. All you guys would probably see is black and think I'm crazy. And if I turn on the flash, it's going to ruin the effect, period, and blind everybody in the room. So it really was a very personal experience, but it also helped for me to hear the people around me seeing it above me, in front of me. So it legitimized the fact that there was something there because if this was just a trick of my eyes, how was it fooling Sandy across from me, Kelly diagonally across from me, and the girl who was sitting facing me to my side? You just can't explain that. And then as you hear the other people having the experiences around us, and then you've got Jenny untying somebody's shoes, it just was an amazing thing. And I honestly can't wait to go back. There are so many stories here of haunting experiences. After our visit and upon listening to Tammy's experience, I'm convinced that this place has something going on. Is the McPike Mansion haunted? Well, that is for you to decide. I know what I think. I want to encourage you guys to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And also, if you would like to send me some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. If you aren't following us on Instagram, please do so. I've been putting a lot of stuff up there. A lot of listeners have been sending me pictures that I'm sharing with you guys. I'm sharing a lot of our own personal pictures. So please follow us there. And I follow back. So I'll be looking at your stuff too. We did get some emails that I want to share with you. First of all, you might recall on the last episode, I shared an email from Sharon who had talked about the drive-in that she would walk over to and sit down and watch movies at. And she'd mentioned that it was in Joshua Tree. And I'd said, oh, how weird. There's a little bit of synchronicity going on here because I had, when I got that email, I was working on a bonus cast featuring the Joshua Tree Inn and Graham Parsons. So she writes me and says, We had more of a synchronicity going on than you think, as my original post had a whole paragraph on the Joshua Tree Inn and Graham Parsons' macabre death cremation almost and a subsequent haunting of Room 8, but I removed it to shorten things up a bit. So I went, 
whoa, because I already thought it was synchronistic that she had mentioned Joshua Tree and here I was working on the Joshua Tree and she actually was going to talk about what I was doing in the bonus cast. It gets crazy around here, folks. It just blows my mind every time it happens. Then she added, here's a bit of trivia. In the middle 1800s, the LDS church had pioneers come through this valley on their migration to the West Coast. When they saw the yucca trees, they reminded them of Joshua at the Battle of Jericho with his arms raised up, so they called them Joshua trees. And the rest is history. Thanks for sharing that, Sharon. And I got an email from Kara. Hey, how are you? I just started listening to your podcast a few months ago. I started working backwards until around the 200th episode. Then I started from the beginning. Out of all the episodes I've listened to, I've not heard you cuss once, but I just got done listening to your first Halloween special and you guys were talking about candies. I forget which one, but you asked, did you ever drink that shit or something like that? It just caught me by surprise. LOL. (laughs) Yeah, we tend to not cuss too much here. I do believe we were talking about those little wax bottles that had the liquid inside of them. I'm sure that's what we were talking about. And I don't use that term lightly, so I pretty much think that's what's inside of those goes on to say, I love you guys. I love the moment and oddity in this day in history. It's amazing. And then she sent me a story that I'm going to go ahead and save for our next Halloween special. Just wanted to tell you that listening to your podcast really gets me through the day at work. You talk about all the places you've been and I can't wait to be able to travel too. I've seen things here in Pennsylvania. I've been to the Farnsworth House Inn and the Cash Town Inn in Gettysburg. We went to see the Saks Bridge, but I want to go outside Pennsylvania. I'd love to see New Orleans and the St. Augustine Lighthouse, Winchester Mystery House, Waverly Sanatorium, and so much more. Again, I love your podcast, and I'll give you a review when I remember to bring my iPad home, LOL. Well, thank you so much, Kara, and thanks so much for listening. Greatly appreciate that. want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. I want to thank Amanda and Charlotte Connor for your one-time donation. It is greatly appreciated. And I got some stickers out to little Charlotte. Hope she enjoys those. Want to thank Mona Van Peterstor for raising your support. You are going to be moving into a garden tomb. And we want to welcome into the cemetery Mary Frances Hagener. You will be getting a chest tomb. And Deborah Rybell, you will be getting a garden tomb. All right, Mort, it's time for some more of your eulogies. Eulogies by Mort. Heather Dufreen was from Memphis. Just like that guy named Elvis. Hubba hubba. She was a Libra like our host. And I think that is the most. Mindy loved somewhere in time. I also think it is sublime. She was a cowgirl at heart. I'll bury her quick before she falls apart. Pac-Man Impact Site had supported HGB for a year. He liked to look at the strange and unclear. He was from the city of Henderson. That's near a city I hear is quite fun. This eulogy is for Karen Uttle. On her finger I tied a little bell. She was from the city of Maitland. Now she'll be here in the Death Wonderland. Laura 
gel bog was owned by a black cat named Inkwell, whose name I think was quite swell. She was a good journalist and writer. Now she's in the graveyard for more than an overnighter. Angela Wallingford was from Cincinnati. We found her to be fun and chatty. She was a fabulous tour guide. From her, ghosts could not hide. Kristen Calderon was a spooky crew mod. Her sign was the crab, an arthropod. Her birthday is actually today. I'll sing happy birthday as the coffin is lowered away. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday beloved Kristen. Happy birthday to you. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.